0: Hola, gente. Welcome to another episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast, a podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from marginalized and communities of color doing remarkable things, all while sipping on a glass of wine. I'm your host, Jessica Yañez. In today's episode, I get to speak with Nadia Deala. Nadia is a certified leadership and negotiation coach who specializes in helping women of color in technology thrive, elevate their pay and position, and fully own their authority. She's committed to helping close the leadership gap and wage gap one badass woman leader at a time. I met Nadia through a Facebook group and share that because although COVID-19 has physically distanced many of us, there are still opportunities to connect and technology has certainly helped me through some of the hardest days as we slowly get back to being able to see our loved ones again. So, grab your glass of wine and join me for the cheese. Nadia, how are you today? I'm doing so well. How are you, Jessica? I'm so good. Um, I'm so happy to have you on today. I think having you on in this particular time is probably really needed and probably really good. Um, I can't wait to kind of dive into everything with you. You are a leadership and negotiation coach for women in color, specifically in tech. And yes. I know there's so many things going on, but I know we're in a new kind of weird new normal right now so let me start off by asking you before actually how are you doing and then we'll get to the wine and then get to the cheese make because sometimes I feel like I don't even I know like what's we're happening starting the cheese when you ask that at least I, know. <laughs> I was like wait this is a, I just feel like sometimes it's like everything is just so crazy yeah. that it gets us off our rocker so to speak it gets us off yeah. our
1: I mean, right now, I am doing as okay as I can be in all candidness. Um, I appreciate you asking that. I think that's super thoughtful. And today, I am great. (laughs) As for two and a half, the past two and a half weeks, it was really rough, I'll be honest, and just trying to understand what this means for my family. And like many family members have been laid off. And we can definitely speak on that. And Just feeling the collective humanity crisis right now as a whole has been seeping into my soul and my bones and just also really understanding how to show up in my business as a leader has been confusing. But today I am clear and today I feel more empowered. Um, That may be because I actually, for my own self, I invest in coaching as well. I had a life coaching session and two business coaching sessions with my own coaches. <laughs> I, I made, so I'm just like, woo, I'm well,
0: ready. <laughs> right now, my coaching sessions involve wine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and today I am drinking, this was actually a gift from a friend. And this is a Reserva Casillero de, del Diablo Cabernet. So it's a cab from Chile, 2017. Oh. Yeah, here I'll show cat you. You from can see Chile. this. Wow. Yeah, I've never had a cat from Chile. So, and you are drinking water today. I am drinking. Am water I the today? only one? I, you know, it is the wine <laughs> in chisme, So I have to drink wine. Well, I mean, it's very, it's really rough. I, I can tell. You know, yeah. You're <laughs> Especially the only now. One be
1: spilling the tea today. <laughs> and how are you doing today? Before we get started.
0: Ooh, actually, I'm 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 doing good. I've had my ups and downs. Same. So do you consider yourself like an introvert or extrovert? And how does that affect, like, I'm an extroverted extrovert. I'm kind of off the charts. So, like I was saying, what I'm trying to do to be creative, because it's not being around people affects me. How, how is that with you? I
1: am an extroverted introvert. If that makes sense. like, I like how you say extroverted extrovert. So I've been managing my business and working remotely for basically like two and a half, three years now. So I've gotten used to a lot of alone time. I've gotten used to being at home because, one, I used to be, like, way imbalanced and obsessively overworking at home. (laughs) Not going out. But I also, like, working remotely, I didn't have, like, happy hours to go after work to anymore with colleagues. It was just like, well, I'm here, and people are inviting me to happy hour across the city when I used to live in San Francisco I'm not doing that (laughs) um but so this is different though like I think the extroverted part of me is kind of slowly quietly just like going nuts and losing its mind a little bit because what I like doing I love seeing my friends and stuff and my homies but what I really love doing is being able to Chill at a cafe for hours and people watch and doodle on my journal and even work remotely from a different space. Like, I love being in cafes and just being around people doing their thing there. Yeah. Just even things like that is just a oh, craving, just being able to be outside, even if I'm not doing anything.
0: I have a dog, so thankfully we go on a lot of walks, and I'm sure he's appreciative on the days that we've been going on long walks. And he's little, so he's probably like, thank goodness we're not going on a long walk right now. But so, you are a daughter of Filipino immigrants. Mm -hmm. What was their background career wise? And how, like, you were born in the US. How old were they when they migrated to the US? And what was their background? Were they able to convert that into something in the US, or did they completely shift careers?
1: Yeah, that's such an interesting question. So, they immigrated. In the 70s, I should actually know the exact year, but they immigrated here during a time when the Philippines was under basically like a vaxious dictator. And he basically was just super in control, murdering a bunch of people and this, that. And my mom was a trained nurse, very Filipina. (laughs) Super (laughs) typical. But she was a trained nurse because that's what it was, but she was a daughter with nine siblings. My dad was... The second to youngest of 10 siblings, which was very typical in the Philippines, and he studied agriculture because that was the only free um, major, basically, that he could get in university. And they were super, super poor. Like, my dad used to tell stories of how he would always borrow his the books of his classmates so that he could just copy real quickly because they didn't have photocopies <laughs> of them at, at demand or like cameras to right. be able to take pictures, but he would just copy it. And then he would also even wait for them to finish eating lunch so that, you know, he would eat their leftovers that they might throw away or something. Oh my gosh. Just, you know, feeding 10 mouths in yeah. the Philippines during that time must've been wild, but he used to work six months out of at a time in the Middle East doing contracted work, I'm sure construction in like Yemen or Saudi Arabia. And my mom actually immigrated to the U.S. with her family before he she was able to marry him and petition him. So even when they got married, they were apart for years. And he would work six months in the Middle East, six months in the Philippines, so... They would send love letters to each other, and, like, he would go to the one telephone in the village he was in in Yemen or something. Oh, my gosh. That must make you
0: feel, like, so appreciative of what we have, because oh knowing that, like, knowing that not only were they married, but, like you said, they weren't even... How long did, how, did they ever get a chance to see years. each other? I think it was years.
1: I think it was, from my understanding, maybe a couple years, two to three years, after, wow. maybe even more, but... I've been through my own immigration process with my husband. So I know my mom like mentally prepared me and he was here. So it wasn't like we were apart like she was, but she mentally prepared me for, Oh, this is going to be hard. Yo. (laughs) Um, And then when she finally got him over here in the seventies, she was still a nurse for Kaiser. And then he, I have no idea what he did at first, but he eventually decided he wanted to be a mechanic, my dad. And, taught himself. He, I remember he, one of his first employees was someone that he saw fixing cars and he said, can you teach me? And then he eventually started his own business and hired that person. So my dad lived the American dream, started his business. My mom wanted to start her own business and be at home to raise her kids. So she started a care home for the elderly that eventually she moved into hospice care, which she does now, and like um, also working with dementia and Alzheimer's patients. And that was part of my house. So I grew up in a care home instead of a separate facility for elderly. Like yeah. I grew up basically being around all these older people, <laughs> like people with dementia and <laughs> Alzheimer's. Um, but they basically started their American dream, being able to start their own businesses. And now my mom... His contract and my dad, unfortunately, he passed when I was younger and that like changed things. He had um, cancer when I was just turning 15 and, you know, my mom sold his business eventually because he was the heart of it. The auto repair Mm -hmm. shop. It's still standing in Sacramento. It's still there. Um, And some of his old employees are still there with the new ownership. And my mom eventually not that long ago sold her business, which is great. Because I think it was just, it was just too much. Yeah. It wasn't the same without a partner, I think.
0: Okay. So this is, I feel like it's kind of parallel paths, right? Like my parent, my mom had a uh, in-home daycare when I was growing up. So I feel like we're on like bookends of what (laughs) what we saw, what we observed. So I know I love children. I don't have any kids. I love kids. I didn't imagine that I would be. 42, not married, no kids, Mm. but this is what life has. And I'm fine with that. Like, I'm okay. It doesn't like stress me out, but I love kids and I love being around kids. And I have this heart for kids that I'm like, if I ever get married and if somebody has kids, like I have a lot of love to give and I know that I'm okay with that. Mm. But where, so I know the things that I saw and the things that I was able to kind of take away from my mom, having a daycare center growing up, how is it like the opposite ends?
1: Oh, it's so funny. I love that you asked that, and it's the same thing. I love old people. <laughs> I'll just say that. Like, seriously, and my heart gets so, like, my heart strings for the elderly just get pulled so much because, and it, it it's just so wild, like, especially our generation, we just have access to so much, and we can travel the world and do all these things, and we really don't think about that one day we are going to be the elderly and we don't think about how much access they don't have anymore, how much assistance they need, that it's just like if their children abandon them or if it's, just, it's really expensive if you don't set yourself up. So like, but I will say that, you know, you will often find me being that person that helps an old lady cross the street. And I'm like, she's struggling. And it's been like two red lights and she still hasn't made it halfway through. So I'll turn around and like cross the street and just make traffic wait for her. Yeah. I've been known to do that. <laughs> um, I love, Well, it's so true
0: because like you said, like this is not, we don't think about how we're going to be at a particular age, right? Yeah. We don't think about that. We think of the here and the now or the maybe next five years, 10 years, but even in a year so much can change and we just don't know. And realizing that I think we also don't tap into the wisdom that older people have as much as we should and as much as we need to because we, other cultures, like even in our, like, I think when you come from communities of color, we embrace the people because I don't know. Anybody in my family that has had to, that really has gone in a home, maybe temporarily for help or something, but we kind of take care of one another. Take care of you, Yeah, my, after my grandmother died, my grandpa moved in with us. And then for several, almost 20 years, my uncle lived with my parents. Like, you, you have multi-generational households. And I know Filipinos the same way. Exactly. Um, and it's just, it's just this thing that I feel like we don't take the, the wisdom. We just kind of brush general population, you know, do we just as a general kind of society, we tend to brush those who are older off. And we're always about the young, the strong, the healthy, but you just never even know what's going to happen. Look at what's what's happening with right now, you have somebody who's 104 years old, with World War Two, that whatever, who survived, who survived, you know, COVID-19. And then you have Heartbreakingly, I think I just heard of a six-month-year-old who just passed. So we can't take for granted either or, right? We just need to make sure that we appreciate the things in the moments. I agree. So speaking of that, like when you were growing up and your parents having this very intense—I mean, I would imagine it was a very intense romance because that's what it was. When you have to write letters. Um, and then finally, they're together in the u s and they start a family. what are their, what did they want to see from you growing up? Did they f- hold any expectations yeah. like we think you should do this because of what we've gone through, or were they very open with you?
1: and um, your siblings so if you have siblings I would say that for the most part, they were very strict, right? My father was strict in a different way than my mother. My mom was the iron fist. <laughs> if you will, she was the, uh, oh, better, like, dodge this year. She was definitely super disciplined um, and expected discipline out of her children as well, but um, at the same time, flexible. Like, she was just so busy that it was easy to get away with certain things. Um, But my my dad was kind of this the way I remember him. And I say that as kind of looking back now as an adult that has gone through therapy and coaching and all these things of like my memories of him, because he passed when I was so young, I forget the things that weren't as positive, quite frankly. And I remember the positive so much with my mother because she has been there and she was raising us as a solo mother. And I was the only kid left out of three children when um, my brother and sister were in college and I was still in high school was when my dad passed. And, you know, I just think about how much me and my mom had to go through it. <laughs> and her expectations, classic immigrant parent, got to be a doctor, got to be a nurse, got to be a lawyer. That's it. There's no other options. <laughs> there are no other options. And she was strict, yo. She was she was hella strict. And I was a bad student. I was about to I ask, what did
0: so. that make? Like, how,
1: like? Oh, gosh, I hate it. I, and now, like, looking back again, hindsight 2020, I just know that there are other options other than general education and general education sucks. When you, I just, someone like me where I'm just like, I care about passion and creativity and love and you know, I do care about wisdom, but I fucking hate generalized tests Mm. and just answering bubbled questions and this, that, it's just so boring.
0: I think people, we forget, you know, we're so stuck on, and I do have a degree I went to, but I went way later right. in life when I went to college because of circumstances that happened within the family and everything like that. But for me, for what I wanted to get into, it was very, like, I couldn't break through without that degree. Like, nobody wanted right. to hire me, even though I was already doing it. Right. And, but I think people forget that there's so many opportunities that you don't necessarily need a degree for. You, There's, like, we have... You know, there's a need for plumbers. There's a need for electricians yeah. and mechanic, like those types of they make things. Good money too, girl. My friend <laughs> have friends. I have a lot of Laotian friends, and their husbands oh, are my plumbers. Brother's girlfriend as well. <laughs> I have so growing up, my friends, my kindred spirits have always been other Latinos and Asians. So, yeah. like, and it's Asian, like, I was like Vietnamese, Korean. Um, Filipino, yeah. and then growing up Lao so like those are the people I was always. That's awesome. Yeah, so it's just funny. Anytime. I like. I feel like this kindred thing when I'm.
1: Yeah, I already feel instant connection with you. (laughs) And and I say to my husband all the time because you know Filipinos were also colonized by Spaniards. Yes. So I always just joke with him and I'm like, brothers from the same colonizer. (laughs) Why we got along so well? (laughs) It's such a fucking awful joke. (laughs) Yes, but no, I mean, uh, yeah,
0: but it's totally true. It's totally true. So. What kind of kid, you were saying you weren't the greatest student, but what kind of kid, like, were you, I was that kid, I'm sure it's really hard to imagine, I was that kid who couldn't stand, so I would get my work done, and then I would get up, and I would, I was a very precocious, outgoing kid, what kind of, what would you say you were?
1: Yeah, I was super wild, outgoing, and I was a troublemaker, like, I would lie to my mom all the time about doing my homework and then when my teachers would confront them and just say, hey, yo, like, I used to, like, steal stickers to do this, like, I remember in the fourth grade you had to get stickers <sighs> for every day you did homework and then you'd have to get it signed and I would try to steal stickers from other students. <laughs> Or I would just be like, whatever. I, I didn't know the first month that you had to get it signed at the end of the month. I'm like, I don't give a shit about stickers. Um, and then at the end of the month, they're like, now you have to get it signed by your parents so that they know how much work you really did. And I just remember being like, oh, dang. <laughs> so, but In high school, in college, you know, I, I definitely leveled up, of course, enough to get by. But what I really cared about was my connections with friends, and what I really cared about was things like writing papers. Oh my god, I love literature. I love reading. I loved history. But, so
0: did I. That was my favorite. You know, English and history yeah, were my favorite.
1: Yeah, and art, but math, science—forget about it. I respect it, but it just my my brain never wanted to even try, and my younger self never even wanted to try because for me, it's just like I'm so much more passionate, but. I was also that kid who hustled. I used to, um, I used to, <laughs> that's going to happen. I used to um, write three papers at a time. One for me, one for um, an ex-boyfriend at the time, but he paid me and one for another student that I used to write papers for. And I thought it was fun because I would just be like, oh, I get to write about these three prompts I have in my head for the same paper, and I would do it in their voice. So <laughs> I was a menace, yo. And I remember getting caught by the school security guard. So, like, he thought, like he saw us exchanging things, like, <laughs> like money. I think he thought it was drugs, and I was just like, no, no, no. It's just, like, school stuff. And, it's like, just school I, work. Like, school like, work. Get drugs
0: on us. <laughs> That's yeah. So that's really interesting that you say that because you end up working in tech and that is very like math science centric. And I've had another friend on here who talks about tech and how the, the different opportunities in tech. So tell me, how did you go from like history and English, these are my things, and you end up working in tech and what, like, yeah. what did you work with in that?
1: Well, tech, I did sales operations and sales. So account management basically so that's that's just that is one of the biggest entry levels anything customer facing you can apply any of your work experience to pivot into tech if you wanted to hands down where's customer support customer operations Account management, account executive, sales development, um, representative. There's just so many entry points for that because they always have a need for. Basically, that's who generates the money, right? There's mm. all. You know, as an en- if I was an engineer, couldn't couldn't <laughs> do that. Um, but what I will say is, so I it I fell into tech by accident, like many people often find themselves doing, um, but also somewhat intentional. So I studied my major that I fell into. I went into SF State undeclared, and I'll tell you, this is how much I didn't care. All I wanted to do was move to San Francisco. That's all I wanted to do. I didn't care what school it was, so I applied to everything in San Francisco, got into SF State, and I never even toured universities, ever. I just, the first day I was in SF State and in campus was my orientation day
0: Wow!
1: because <laughs> right. it's just like all I care about is living in San Francisco and I was undeclared that's how indecisive I was in terms of I don't know what life is supposed to be yeah. and I just knew that I had to be in San Francisco so I followed that intuition and it was amazing I say college was an experience all the time um, and I eventually declared the major to do Uh, what we called Broadcasting, uh, Entertainment, Communication Arts, so the Becca department, and I specialized in audio engineering and sound designing. So (laughs) that was super random. Wait, did you, like, is that what you, they put you
0: in that, or did you want to do that?
1: I wanted to do it. Like, a friend invited me to the 101 class with Uh him. Like, oh, he couldn't get into the film department because it was so compact. And he was like, I was thinking about checking out the broadcasting for radio and television one. And we were both went to the one-on-one class and just our minds were blown. (laughs) And I was really excited because I wanted to do something creative, but I thought, quote unquote, I'll say that for anyone listening, that I couldn't make money doing that writing. So I was like, oh, maybe I'll do writing for television or something. And then suddenly I did audio and I was like, this is super cool. It's super technical. I liked it. So what I did after graduating, I was working two restaurants. And for two years, I freelanced doing things like boom operating, you know, when you have the oh, big yeah, fish pole. Yeah. Um, so it's just like the short, I'm 4'11", okay? <laughs> so like the shortest sound recordist with this giant fish rod. Are those heavy? <laughs> then they ladders. look heavy. Yeah, it's heavy. You know, my arms were all shaking all the time, but I loved it. And I loved editing but after two years of freelancing, what I didn't know how to do was run a business. And that's what freelancing is. My silly little, I don't know, maybe just like crazy, worked out partying mind, because I still partied back then really hard, was assuming I would get a nine to five in a creative role. And I did not realize that I should have been preparing to understand what it meant to be a contractor and freelancer. And I always think now that I know business, now that I run my own business, now that I know sales and everything, like how cool would it be to like, see if I could have made that work, but I got burnt out. I got freaked out.
0: How long did you do that for?
1: I did it for about two years while working two restaurant jobs, um, often working double shifts. And it frustrated me because I would do a bunch of work that wouldn't get paid for months. And I was just like, well, I, I did this like six day gig and I didn't do my restaurant gigs for six days. And I have to wait three months for this paycheck because uh, you're getting your funding for your production, XYZ or something. Right? It's kind
0: of, it's it I almost, of it almost prepared you for what's happening now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I got freaked out because I remember one day. So I was working for the um, I had one of my main contracted gigs was for the Academy of Arts in San Francisco. And I was doing boom operating and one of our gaffers who like take care of the lights and everything and the set in the room he was saying like shoot dude my wife is pregnant and she has twins we're finding out we're having twins and we're not financially ready for twins and then I started getting all freaked out for some reason by that about like oh shoot I don't have any insurance or anything so I quit all of that I got a full-time job as a sales reservation person agent in hotels so I went into hospitality <laughs> and I love this because I know I just jump in everywhere
0: well I mean I remember you I was reading that you say you were always accepting a series of opportunities that were the quote-unquote next best thing so yes. I feel like a lot of people can relate to this I can relate to it of the different yes. kind of things that I've done so I love hearing this so continue yeah sorry. no that's
1: exactly it like so many people we just keep chasing the next thing and for me the next best thing was I want to get a weekend day off so I accepted a role that was Tuesday to Saturday and I thought it was amazing I got Sundays off (laughs) and I wanted health benefits because you know I just I felt like I needed to take that on um, and have that security after I, exactly, I quote, my last day was on my one-year anniversary because I quickly realized, there's was just like, okay, this is cool. This feels great to have this much money coming in, but I know I don't want to live in a hotel and advance in a hotel. So I went to Booking.com. So that was my first tech job. So I went to work for Booking.com under the Priceline Group in SF. I had markets like Silicon Valley where I would drive to hotels like the Marriott and the Fairmont and, um, San Jose or something and but before that I did sales operations which I loved I loved like building things in the background and then supporting our sales team but eventually people kept telling me to go into sales like managers were like we really want you to apply for account management and I'll say this because I really think about this now and I've been wanting to write a piece about it how The one person who actually convinced me to do it because I had a feeling I would hate sales. I would hate being quota-driven, which I do hate. I love money, but I hate being quota-driven and the pressure of selling something. Um, And a white male, because I work with women of color, right? A white male was the one who told me, hey, you should go for this because what you'll use this for is a stepping stone to get a better job somewhere else. And I was just like, oh, that's smart. <laughs> you know? like, I, and I followed that. And once I left Booking.com because, you know, just reorgs and restructuring and I just wasn't feeling it as much anymore, I went to HelloSign, which I became the first account manager ever there. Yeah, HelloSign. I applied for a co- yeah, I applied for a different role and they're like, oh, you're an account manager. Would you like to be our first account manager? It's a new role we haven't even put up yet. And I was just like, Sure. I think I can handle that.
0: What is (laughs) HelloSign?
1: So HelloSign is like if you – they're an e-signature platform. Oh, Sign. For some reason, I thought you said Sign. Yeah, they're electronic signatures. They're like DocuSign's competitor. They just got acquired by Dropbox um, last year, which is awesome.
0: Okay, okay. I'm very
1: proud of them. And, yeah, so, I mean, the rest is kind of history. Like, that was my first time in a pure tech startup, and I got to – I got to create so many sales systems from scratch and it was incredible experience. Like I learned how to negotiate like crazy there. I feel like that's where I got, like, I just, I learned so much about business there. And I think that's where I truly learned how to run a business.
0: So at what point, so you, you've kind of, you're doing these things, you're account manager, you're learning these things. At what point were you finally like, I'm done with this and was it a, something specific that made you go mm, maybe this is not what I want to do anymore and how did you come into being like from, how did you kind of pivot from I love that word pivot I probably say it in every single episode because I think it's what we do yeah i mean i think it's so much it's that's really what you do because if you see something that's not can you move right so you instead of just moving i feel like you're like focused if you're focused you're making a pivot into something more intentional So how did you kind of make that from what you were doing as an account manager, or were there other things between, or what was there anything that made you say, okay, I want to do my own thing now? I've learned business, I understand how to run a business. What was it?
1: Yeah. So I mean, the cheesiness of it all. The cheesiness in Tagalog, but like the cheesiness of it all. I I fucking already. I'm dropping f bombs. I hope that's good. I already, fine. I already knew, even before accepting that role, this is my last sales role in tech. Like I just knew it, and I will say what what it was was that I was frustrated with a lot of the politics, because um, that's just everywhere. And I handled it well, but I was what I was really frustrated about was seeing like a lot of my friends who happened to be mainly women of color we're also frustrated and not handling it well. Yeah. Right. And it's just like, this is silly. And I tried to pivot throughout. Like I told my boss at the time, I wasn't afraid to tell him. I was just like, I hate sales. If you can help me get out of sales within this company, I would be more than happy to stay. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't even trying to front. And for a whole year I waited and kept supporting the team and kept hitting my goals. But <clears throat> what it really was, was, I was going through um, an immigration process with my partner and it was brutal on the side. And, and where is he from? It, he's from Oaxaca, Mexico. So um, it was, you know, and he was here and everything, but we were just trying to finalize so much and it just took years. Um, and fortunately it took four or five years-ish, which I know in the grand scheme of things, that ain't much, okay? But I think it just, the lack of control in that, really messed with me and really made me feel less than and just like so disappointed in my country. So I'm born here, you know, like I'm Kennedy, I'm Filipina, but I'm also American and I'm born here and it just like this may be coming from a super freaking privileged place, but I was just like, what? So I don't get my plus one and this is real love. You know what I mean? Like this this is BS that you're making it so difficult. Um and I went to, I started going to therapy, which was, I think, my gateway into the self-development, right? Like, before therapy for me, before coaching, I had therapy, and that that just changed everything. Yeah, I was a mess the whole time, and I went for years, and I went every week for years, and it just got to this point where when you unravel so much, I just realized, like, well, yes, I don't have control in this immigration process, but what else am I unhappy about? This job that I am keeping for security, and that's why we always stay in places, typically for security of some way or form, right? Yeah. So it just it felt like I couldn't stay there to a point somewhere, and I also felt like I couldn't apply for a job. Like I literally would look at a resume and try to fix up my resume. And I would feel sick to my stomach and feel like anxiety in my chest and just say, I can't do this. Like I, I literally can't apply to another job. I literally can't because I had been jumping so much, right. For years. And it's just like, I just can't do that anymore. What would I do? If not tech sales, what would I do? If not this. And my partner at the time had told me, cause he had taken career breaks before, um, he works in the restaurant industry he's an artist but like for tech you know you gotta go through crazy amounts of freaking interviews you know you gotta do like 10 freaking interviews and it's just like it's a little different when you take a break and if you try to re-enter and that was daunting to me but he was the first one that was like maybe he's taken career breaks before and he said maybe you can take career break maybe it's your turn to do that and I was making over six figures girl I was just like
0: I'm sure that's like, oh, what? Like, yeah. yeah, I'm even- just like,
1: are you serious? But ever since he said that, I couldn't, I just couldn't let it go. So we made a plan financially, like, we we're like X amount of numbers in in the bank. And then I took a self funded career sabbatical because I didn't know I was going to open up to this. And then in that break, I healed, I found myself again, I did the hella self work. And then somehow, Coaching came in my mind by a friend telling me like, Hey, yeah, I was doing eat, Pray, love girl. I was in Columbia. I was in admitting. <laughs> <laughs> and on our final day, my friend was just like going through some relationship stuff and I was helping her and she's a marketing, she does freelance marketing. And she was just like, yo, you're really good at this. I, I work in the realm of coaching and I help marketing for a lot of coaching like businesses. You're really good. I remember you mentioned it before. Maybe you should look into it. And ever then that's all I've thought about. So I just kept pulling on that thread, pulling on that thread. And then eventually it was just like, I'ma I'ma do this, I'm gonna start my own business. And here we are. Well I know I feel like I'm rattling, you know, No, are, you're like deep in the deep. <laughs> <now>. <laughs> stretch. <laughs>
0: No, I, mean, I just, I find people's stories very fascinating. And that's why I ask the questions I ask. But you talk a lot about the pay gap and negotiation and things like that. At what point in your career did you feel, I know you were talking about it a little bit previously, about frustrations of your coworkers that were people of color. At what point did you realize like how large the pay gap was? When did that, because I feel like when you start, all of us, when you start, that's not type of mind. It's not something that you really think about until you either see it, like understand, like, oh, I'm somebody's saying, oh, I make this much and I make this much. And you're like, wait, they do the same things. Or you start researching it and you start having people around you talking about it. And then you start understanding it that way. How did you kind of come to that realization of the, what the pay gap was, how large it was? So, and not only just for people of color, but particularly women of color. And was that something you actually experienced yourself? I feel like sales, it kind of bridges that. It's one of those things that kind of bridges that gap because it's based on performance, but not always. So is that something that you were experiencing?
1: Well, I mean, bonus wise, we had the same structures. And, you know, if I hit my quota, great, getting my payout. But in terms of base salary, I experienced it myself. You know, I had a white male counterpart coworker who I helped hire on basically say what they were making. And I you know, so many people and women of color, friends, clients, people who attend my workshops have just been like, I've freaking been there where he was just saying, like, oh, they don't pay us enough, da 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 X amount is not enough and I'm sitting there like you think that we're being paid equal? That's twenty fucking thousand more than me.
0: Oh my gosh!
1: And they had more experience than me, but essentially our titles were still the same. And the thing about negotiating salary is that it just—it truly goes to the people. The winners are the people who are good at it and who even try. And what I find is most women of color don't even try. Um, and I'm guilty of that. Me Actually, too. No, of that, I know right? I
0: am too because I've I would always just accept what I was being offered and not thinking I could negotiate. And then I did have a boss who is still a mentor of mine. And she's a woman of color. She's a black woman. And I was like, how do I negotiate? Because I, I've gotten better. Yeah. I'm definitely not the best, but you know, where I was and I, there's times where like the last prior, the job that I was to prior to this They wanted to under, like they said, okay, the pay range is from here to here. And then when they wanted to hire me on, they like wanted to hire. I said, no, like I literally said, no, I won't take it. You have to pay me this or I'm not going to accept the position. And then I got it.
1: There you go. That's exactly it, though, where we're so afraid to say, no, that's not good enough. And I'm going to ask you, what were the things that stopped you the previous times from asking for what you deserve?
0: I think started out being young and thinking everybody's, you know, everybody's going to be fair with me. I don't know. I think it's just being naive to the fact my parents never talked about it. Um, I think even when my dad at the company that he's at now, he has so much experience. And when I found out approximately, I don't know exactly, that's another thing. We don't talk about how much people make yeah. like your parents, you know, it's almost like I've had to pull it out of my parents and not that I want to for any diabolical reason. It's because I want to know that my parents are being valued. That's how I see yeah. it at this point. Yeah. And so when I found out how much my dad was being offered, I'm like, well, why doesn't he ask for more? And my dad didn't want to rock the boat. You know, it's a really That's good cut. It. And it's like, and I'm like, That's do you realize it. how much experience he has? Like, they're offering him the job for the reason the worst they can say and this is kind of the motto I live by now is if you don't ask the question the answer is always no yeah and the worst they could say is no and if they say no they're not going to rescind the offer they're just going to say no this is what we can offer you but I think it's that fear that well what if they take it away or what if I'm not good enough or what if you know Well, here's the
1: thing. They can rescind the offer. I actually had a previous client. The offer was rescinded. And it was after the fact of us working together, Mm -hmm. right? She she used the tactics, but, like, unfortunately, she emailed me saying, like, offer was rescinded this that but I'm back on my high horse I'm getting what I deserve and she actually just emailed me so that was about a couple months ago and I was just like oh man and I have no idea what she did right it wasn't technically under my guidance but I'm proud of her for going there because she was so clear on this is what I will not take less than yeah and unfortunately this company which I consider a red flag and I told her that in my email response that's a red flag that you probably might be dodging a bullet. And I'm not just saying that to make you feel better, where if a company is so offended that a woman of color is trying to claim what she is worth, and all they said was, oh, we we are rescinding the offer because we feel like you're not satisfied and we can't satisfy you. And it's just like, you didn't even give her a chance. You didn't even make a counter offer offer or anything like that. No, we're not accepting that counter. This is the best that we can offer you, take it or leave it, so that she had a chance to leave it or take it and my heart sank but at the same time I was like I am in awe of this person willing to go there willing to face the fear that what if this offer is rescinded and guess what she just got offered a job at Google for 35,000 more than what that company was trying to offer her. oh my
0: gosh so what would you say there you go yeah oh my gosh that's awesome
1: that's the thing where I'm like, I'm sorry, but no, you actually should be willing to face that fear of the offer being rescinded because do you really want to be stuck making X thirty five thousand dollars less? To-
0: no for totally. the next
1: two to four years in your career. No, I
0: think, <laughs> and I think I as know that women is
1: a privilege, right? But yeah. It's just come on.
0: I no, I totally agree with you. I think as women and particularly women of color, we're so like we you know we're so accustomed to just kind of being like appeasing. And even though I am somebody who I am very strong-willed and everything, I still want to, I, and I think it's definitely a lot less now than it was when I was in my twenties, um, where you still wanted to please everybody. You still wanted yes. to make sure that you were, you know, you didn't want to feel like you were the troublemaker and you were always, you know, and I feel like, I, because I did that a lot when I was younger, like I was the one who was always talking, or I was always the one who's this or that, that I didn't want to be that as an adult, and I didn't learn how to say, like, no, this is how much I want. What would you say prior to this whole pandemic happening, and now, and now, then versus now, what has been your client's biggest concern prior to and now maybe currently?
1: I love that you asked that because in my business coaching for my own coach that I pay, Um, for myself to have guidance and and clarity. That's actually the exact question that I'm working on figuring out to be really clear on what it is right now. But prior to, it's really overall leadership and the ability to self-advocate courageously and confidently, right? To be able to claim what is yours and to be your realest self. So my leadership program is really called Real You Leadership because that's the biggest thing where how do I – I truly believe that if we can find ways to show up as the realest selves, our best versions of ourselves, our most courageous selves that are willing to go there, you know, and within reason, right? Like, I'm not saying put yourself on, like, in an unsafe situation where you're like, F you, you know, like, no, we're not doing that. But in your own way, authentic to your core values, who you really truly are as a person. How do we show up in any room, no matter who is in the room, right? Real life and virtual now. But to be able to say, no, these are the standards that I bring. This is the value that I bring. This is how badass I am. I am advocating for my work. It is worth your attention. It is worth your respect. And it is worth this money, right? Like that that stays no matter what. It just feels different now. But you kind of hit the nail on the head with all these things you're saying of, people pleasing right so I have these four bullshitter mindsets like bullshitter that's what I call them of like self-sabotaging mindsets that women of color typically have one of them is the good girl obviously <laughs> of like this people pleaser in us and that's one of the biggest ones where we don't take what we want um, and another one is for instance that we haven't discussed is the you know toxic femme basically the one that's like happy eh, i'm gonna burn this place down i'm gonna leave a bad glass door review you know? yeah. <laughs> like you don't deserve me and then, like we can quickly switch from one to the other and how do we overcome that is the biggest thing um a lot of my clients are high achievers and perfectionists so today in this time right now those things are suffering those type of. Like type A, I need everything to be just right or suffering because we're so overwhelmed right now. Yeah. And I think leadership looks so different right now. And I think what's really coming up right now that I'm helping a lot of my clients is how do I secure my leadership and my role? Because there's a lot of layoffs happening and I need to shine right now. Yes, I need to take care of myself. and it's okay it's natural if i'm depressed and overwhelmed and super frustrated with like my living situation and everybody's at home or i have kids and just how do i shine and i need to make sure that i keep doing the work to shine because that's on it quite honestly that's job security right now like we need to be able to make sure people still see us even if revenue is going down in companies even if you know objection objectives have changed we need to be able to like freaking shine right now and show like I am worthy of you keeping me and retaining me and I can actually still advance and be promoted and ask for more money as we go
0: how do you think the tech industry is responding to what's happening right now as far as as far as jobs as far as just leadership as far as providing have you heard anything or how do you feel like that industry is responding? And do you think it's going to change from this point forward?
1: Oh, I think it's already changed. I think it's, I think it's just, you know, I find it super fascinating of all the things that we said we couldn't do <laughs> that we're able to do now. Like I, I had someone, I wrote in an, um, an article on this recently, how, many people said that you couldn't work from home as much as we are now. Right. Right. And I had someone who, she wasn't a client of mine, but she attended one of my negotiation workshops. And she said she had an offer rescinded because she was trying to, the company was able to give one telecommuting day. So one remote work from home day. And she was only, she wasn't even trying to negotiate more pay. She was trying to negotiate a second work from home day. And they rescinded the offer, she said. And she told the whole workshop this. And I was like, that is fascinating. <laughs> because they were like, oh, we just now realized that if that's what you need, then you might not be the best fit for this company. And just like, that's such bullshit. Look at what's happening now. That company is probably 100% remote right now. Yeah. And really, it's just it's just so interesting to see like, well, do we really need all these buildings? Do we really need all of these I don't know, these things, like to keep people here. And I think we do. I'm not going to say we we don't because it's just people realistically can't work from home all the time. It sucks.
0: I think maybe it changes, right? Because if you need to work from home, then I, you know, I love the company that I'm working with now because if I need to work from home, I need to work from home. They're cool with it. Yeah. Like I don't even need to. There's three of us technically in the office. It's a larger company. But in our office, we were in a co-working space. And so we can come and go as we need to, if we need to work, if we're going out of town, I can work from my computer out of town. It doesn't matter. So I think that you're, you know, you're right. It's already shifted places that you never thought would, uh, one of my neighbors works at the university over here and they were never like, she's like all these things that they said would take years to implement. They're like, like totally coming through because you just have no choice now. What, how do you, like, in regards to coaching just in general, how does that, like, is that something that is usually a short-term thing? Is it long-term thing? Is it, can it be both? What do people, like, how do you normally work with people in regards to that? Because obviously there's some people that might get through certain things quickly. How do you see it? How do you approach your coaching mentality when you're working with clients?
1: Oh, that's, that's a great question. So I typically work with my one-on-one clients for six months. A lot of them often renew for another three to six months, too. One of my clients I've been working with for over two years. Um, So it it really depends, but everybody has different goals it could be oh i want to be more confident because i get crippled in meetings and i never stand up for myself and i always get over talked um some people want to go from director level to vp level some people want a promotion as an individual contributor um, and some people just really want to um get more money right so it really depends i also do i'm about to start offering a shorter term group coaching program that's what I think is necessary right now for me to pivot during these times because I can feel the uncertainty that some people have around a larger commitment and I I understand that Um, although I do really believe that transformation takes time right yeah it transformation isn't I wake up one day and six months later, I'm different, right? No, it's it's really doing the work with incremental changes. So we do coaching sessions one-on-one. We do super deep explorations where I'm constantly asking questions and being a sounding board and pushing the curiosities that are coming up with my own intuition for my clients. And then, quite frankly, giving them a kick in the butt sometimes <laughs> and just being like, this is what you're experiencing right now. And it's so closed, you're not opening up. It's usually scarcity of something, right? And how do we shift towards abundance and more opportunities internally so that we can handle the shit externally. And once we reach that individual person's kind of gold nuggets and like, aha oh, uh-huh moments. Um, and sometimes not right. Sometimes it's really subtle. It's okay. Based on the learnings today, how do we act on that? Cause if we don't act on that, coaching is just good conversation and you're just paying me money for nothing.
0: Yeah. You know
1: what I mean? <laughs> and, and, and acting on that is truly what builds the habits, the change, the confidence. Like, it's kind of both, right? It's mindset plus action. And regardless of what their goals are, I know what clients are really coming to me for is the confidence to be their realist and best selves and to create a freer lifestyle, right? Like that's really what it comes down to. I don't want to feel restricted, hiding myself. You know, as a woman of color, we're always trying to like, is my, do I need to change my hair? Do I need to cover my body a different way? Do I need to talk a different way? Do I need to do this, that? And it's all these survival mechanisms that are necessary, but you know, it's really how do I do this? Where it's because. All of that stuff, it's cool. It gets us where we need to be, but it really isn't sustainable. And that's why we see so much burnout in the tech industry, especially with POCs and women of color. And so many of us are opting out. Yo, I opted out. And my goal is to make sure those who want to be in tech stay in tech and opt in and stay in because if there are less of us in tech, then our technology is gonna be hella whitewashed. <laughs> and it's just, you know, like, have you heard of things like skin recognition apps, like the face apps where it was produced by a bunch of white folks and the, the app wouldn't recognize darker skin tones? Oh my gosh. If you think about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So stuff like that, I see
0: things really sometimes. I'm like, how? Who was in the room that made that decision? Like, who? Uh, none of us, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't you see that? You're like, who? Like, you just are like, how to, to somebody, and I'm a light-skinned Latina, so and I see that, and I'm like, who thought that was a good idea? Why would you not, like, especially if there's they, anything referring like, to ethnicity or color or race or anything, why would you have somebody who doesn't represent any of that in the room, like all those people to make those decisions? So I'm glad that you there's somebody like yeah. you who wants to truly make sure that You know, you stay in there, help build that confidence and everything. What, before I get to the questions that I ask everybody, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you want to make sure that you convey before I ask you to provide all of your contact info? Um, Yeah,
1: I'm not really sure. I mean, I feel like you've just explored my whole being. (laughs) I mean, I just, I really... I'm appreciative of you even giving me a deeper reflection of my own life and what brought me here to this moment.
0: Aww. You know what I mean? Just
1: cause it's just, it's bringing up all these lessons for me of my big why of why this is really important to me. Just even from a familiar level, like my family, my mother is my big why I want to help her retire one day, you know, hopefully soon. Cause she should not be working right now, especially during these times and what she does. And, my big why for my clients and the audience that I serve for women of color in tech, of I want them to be empowered to stay opted in and to thrive in tech. So I really appreciate that.
0: Oh my gosh! No, I'm so happy we connected. I mean, we found each other on Facebook from a Facebook group, and yeah. I'm, I couldn't be happier to have you on here and to be able to have you be able to share that story. If people want to get a hold of you, how can they do that? Like website and social. And I'll make sure to include those in the show notes as well.
1: Thank you. Yeah. So everything is my name. So my business is Nadia Dayala Coaching, Leadership and Negotiation Coach. So my website is n a d i a d e a l a N-A-D-I-A-D-E-A-L-A.com. And you can find me on Instagram under the same handle at Nadia Dayala or LinkedIn. Just search me. I'll pop up. And I'm happy to connect with y'all. I also have um, a Facebook group that I just started in the midst of all this social distancing that I felt really necessary to bring forth Women of Color in Tech. It's called Real You Leadership, Shifting to Thrive as Women of Color in Tech. So if you fit that and identify with that, please join. We would love to have you.
0: Yes, and I have somebody else that I want to connect you with who's in tech as well, um, another friend, who we discussed all of this STEM stuff and everything. So um, what do you wish you would have you would have known when you started out?
1: I am feeling called to answer what I wish I would have known when I was in tech is that you deserved more than anybody even to be in that room and deserve to be yourself, no matter what. That would have been gold because there were so many times where, and I, I had moments where I would still stand up and share myself and just be absolutely ruthlessly myself, but I just wish that that was normalized, and I wish that I knew I could handle the unknown that I was afraid of, which is, oh, will they retaliate? Will they think I'm the angry brown woman? Will they X, Y, Z, right? And I would have been able to overcome that. So,
0: Uh, yeah. (laughs) Um, What are you curious about right now?
1: (laughs) Oh, it feels so... Interesting, being you know under the COVID nineteen <laughs> stress and overwhelm, I'm curious about the outside world. <laughs> <So> the outside. <laughs> right. I think I think that what I'm especially curious about right now is what are the what are the new problems that are to emerge for my clientele and women of color in tech working remotely and in a at least feeling scarce job market within tech? Like what are the nuances that I may not know yet until I hear it from my clients, right? I'm really curious about, because that that informs my business and that informs my leadership. So I would really love to know what's under the hood of all of this right now.
0: Don't we all, don't we all. (laughs) So failure is something that we can either cower from or embrace because ultimately failure is what teaches us, you know, where we need to kind of make improvements or whatever. So what is something that you have failed at that you've learned from? Oh,
1: I'm just, <laughs> um, I feel like I fail every day at something and that's okay. I love that you're saying this. This is such a fun question. Um, <laughs> I'm going to pivot towards negotiations. I failed at that plenty of times and I share it all the time, um, in my workshops and with my clients, I didn't negotiate my first two salaried roles. So not negotiating is a big fail. And the first time I negotiated my role, um, one job, I was nervous to the core. I wasn't even asking for much more. (laughs) And, um, I made the mistake of giving my exact salary that I was currently making at my previous role. And guess what they offered me? my right. exact salary.
0: Did <laughs> not offer you more? Oh my
1: god. They didn't cuz they were I went from enterprise company to a scrappy startup and you know and I had to backpedal, and I was just like, uh, you know, my company right now is even giving me a 401k. You're not doing that and they're matching 3%. They, you know, with booking.com, I used to travel the world, girl. I used to be able to go to Amsterdam, to Hawaii, to different parts of the US. And I It's just like they gave me travel and I was paid while I was traveling, you know, and you're not doing any of that. And that was just my biggest fail ever. So, y'all, whoever is listening, you do not have to give away. (laughs) It's actually illegal in most states these days to be able to to give what you're currently making. Um, And there are plenty of ways to pivot and not. Share it and put it on the company to give them the range that they budgeted for. So, yeah. And
0: I think the other thing big. for me, and maybe other people find it as well, is I always, I never want to feel like I'm overshooting, but then I don't want to undershoot myself. That's always like a challenge, right? Like, mm-hmm. okay, if you know, I hate when people, when you're applying for a job and it asks you like the rate of pay that you're looking for. Yeah. Cause I'm like, well, what are you paying? I think one of the tips and tell me, this is one of the tips that I've learned is when they ask what salary you're looking for, then I've come back and said, well, what are your salary? What's your salary range for this position? Yeah. Because then you're putting it on them, right? You're deflecting on them to make them answer. If then, then if they're saying, well, it's between this and this, you can say, well, I'm actually looking for around this or whatever you could, then it gives you an idea to know. I think we forget that, we're not only being interviewed, but we're interviewing the company exactly. that we're with. So if exactly. if they're saying, "Oh, it's between twenty five and thirty five thousand dollars," you're like, "Yeah, that's not going to work for me." <laughs> and yeah. you can, instead of continuing this conversation that might not go anywhere, you have that information. So if that job is offered to you, you have already like decide you can decide already if it's something you want to even pursue or not based on that
1: hundred percent. Cause you don't want to waste your time. You don't want to waste theirs. So that's the perfect advice I would give the same. And I would also add, if you really want that role, whoever you're speaking to the recruiter or the hiring manager to say, do you have some vocal room for the right candidate? Cause I believe I am the right candidate. If you want that role. Love that.
0: Okay. So now the fun, the final fun question. Okay. Ooh. <laughs> what is your favorite word?
1: Oh, favorite word. I feel like, did I prepare for this? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have a lot of favorite words right now. Can I give multiple words? Sure. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, love has always been one of my favorite words and values, like above all else in business and in life. Um, So, always love and then radical.
0: Ooh, I, like ones. I like Radical. Yeah, that.
1: Radical is a big one for me this year just because actually my whole life, I feel like everything we've talked about is like that's the leading feature in my life. <laughs> like, let's just, let's just not do that. Let me be a little radical. What is
0: your... What are, sorry, what is a dream that scares you?
1: Oof. This sounds like my client intake form. <laughs> 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 this is awesome. Um, So dream that scares me to have the audacity to be able to live abroad and still do this business. Right. Like I I feel sometimes that I have to be in the heart of Silicon Valley where I am right now, right? To be able to cater towards folks in tech. But especially now that we are living <laughs> remotely crazy. for everything i'm just like is that true yeah. do i need to so it's scared it used to scare me it probably still does but and also because part of that is you know I, I would love to live in oaxaca mexico where my husband is from one day and i just keep thinking how hard it would be to live in a country where i don't know the language and to have that immigrant experience would be scary but also why not yeah we have one I life so yeah. i think it would be cool <laughs>
0: Um, so if I'm going to Oakland, what restaurant do I need to go to and what do I need to order?
1: Oh, so, okay. So funny story. I just moved here in January.
0: Okay. So (laughs) where were you before? All
1: of this happened where I can't explore new restaurants (laughs) and I know it wasn't too far. So I used to live in San Francisco for 14 years and just moved in January. So I could speak more to San Francisco Okay. So if I, next time I go
0: to San Francisco, I haven't been there in a while. It's been a few years since I've been and I'm going, I'll be going probably as, as soon as possible. I hope so. Um, where do I need to go and what do I need to eat?
1: Okay. So I'm gonna say this with all of my heart because I really, really want as many restaurants to survive this as possible. And I'm just like, I keep thinking about all the good spots in the Bay, SF, Oakland, where I'm just like, I wish that it'll be okay. <laughs> Cause what's, what's our culture without food culture, honestly, yeah. in terms of visiting cities and going on vacations. But, um, no Polito is a bougie, but hipster and really freaking good Mexican restaurant. Um, that's I'm picky a, a fairly, with my Mexican food yeah it's so good girl they have amazing pozole that i just i love so i would right. highly recommend to order that and you know my husband loves their mezcal so i would order their mezcal too if you were <laughs> into that and they have wine they have wine but i mean i can go know. tequila every once in a while <laughs> yeah yeah they oh man their posole. i really want that right now
0: <laughs> okay and final question Wine, red, white, or rosé, and do you have a particular favorite?
1: Okay, so I think I gave you the disclosure I'm like, am I still allowed if I can't handle alcohol? <laughs> so, y'all, I have that Asian gene that you just gave me. Asian flesh. Thing. It's, like, even more than that. Like, I get sick off of, like, even the tiniest sip like even half a shot or half a glass of wine, I could get sick. It's it's awful. So I basically stopped drinking when I turned twenty one. That being said, I still love the flavors and I will still take sips. So I prefer rest. All right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you, Nadia, coming on. It was so much fun talking to you today. Thank I you. like I really hope I think a lot of people will get some really good information from this. And I appreciate like everything that you're doing within the tech space within holding space for women of color within that, within tech, I think that's super important. And I am just so excited that we connected. So.
1: Thank you. I had so much fun, girl. <laughs> I did. I was not prepared. Okay. For all this tea. So. <laughs> I get the man. I, I get it.
0: the man. Yeah. So until next time, mi gente, saludos. Okay,
1: bye.
0: Nadia, thank you again for spilling the wine on your journey from sound engineer to a coach in technology for other women of color. How crazy is that to have that kind of journey? Being a sound engineer, literally holding this giant boom mic over people, and she's 4'11", guys. This is so crazy, to now just being such a badass and teaching other women how to harness they're badass and really how to thrive in their own lives. I can certainly relate to taking career opportunities that were quote unquote the next best thing, and finding my way through the haze and into a purpose. And I hope that you guys are finding your way or have found your way into your purpose as well. Do you have a story that needs to be told or know someone who does? Then please reach out to me via my social media channels. You can reach me on Instagram at the wine and cheese and on Facebook and LinkedIn at the Wine and Cheese Me Podcast. I want to hear your story. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Cheese Me, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five star ratings are always appreciated, and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. So please keep them coming. I'm so happy you were on this journey with me each and every week. So until next time, mi gente, saludos.